The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. No one has ever asked me the questions that you've asked me today. Let's Releasing new music first time in like three years. This time I'm shitting myself. Why? I remember that video of you doing your You found out your net worth. Oh, yeah. That's 10 fucking million quid sitting about somewhere. Where the fuck is it? No label would ever tell you that is the strategy to become successful. You can fully just put a picture of you with a towel wrapped around your head and these stupid glasses on with your top off on a big massive poster on the tube. It's less about being like a polished fucking yeah. pop star or whatever. People see through that shit. You are living an extraordinarily unhuman life. What is the reality? I have really bad anxiety. It never reached a tipping point until after getting famous. I fucking hate recording albums. I despise doing music videos. I only do all that stuff because playing live is this fucking unparalleled thing that you can't compare to anything else. So like, when that was making me feel shy, if it's like, fuck, I don't know if I can do any of this shit anymore. My dad gave me a lift home from the airport one night and I was twitching like fuck to the point where he started crying in the car. I couldn't concentrate on work I was doing because I was so convinced that I was going to die. What is the question that no one asks you that would reveal the most untapped answer? I think... Without further ado, I'm Stephen Butler and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Lewis. Hello. When you look back, and I was reading about your childhood, I found it really fascinating. When you look back at those um, early, early, early dots that you, I think sometimes in hindsight, we can connect and go, ah, oh, that was the reason I became the person I am today, or that was a really significant mm. early moment. What were those first early dots that you connect and go, that's why I ended up where I am today? Um, I think for me, it's probably, the first one I can remember is like, being, I remember just being on holiday in France. We used to go on these mad, like, caravan holidays in France. Me and my mum and my dad and my two older brothers, my older sister. And uh, there was like, I don't know, for some reason I had become obsessed with Queen. I must have been like four years old. Um, but like we got like a CD and the, like one of the, you know, remember those free CD newspapers? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, Where yeah. you would pull out stuff. So we got that. And it had like, We Will Rock You by Queen on it. <clears throat> and it had We Are The Champions as well. And I remember like, just I became obsessed with it. And I was like listening all the way through, don't you? Um, where we, where we were going so we drove from Scotland to France so it was like I just remember listening to that constantly on repeat and then being I don't know if I'd ever showed an interest in singing prior to this or being a singer or anything like that but I remember we were at like one of those like car- like a band was playing and it was like a karaoke thing like one of the family entertainment mm. nights or whatever and uh, for some reason I just like asked if I could go up and sing um, We Will Rock You by Queen um, 
and it was glad, and I went up and I did it, and there's a picture of me doing it, like as I'm tiny and I've got this microphone, and it's so I did it, and then I think I got a buzz for it or whatever, and for whatever reason I asked if I could go back up and do another song, and I did another song, and it was like for me that's the first kind of memory of like this, the, like singing and getting a buzz for like, oh I'm up here and I'm doing this thing in front of people. It's like again I I, I have no other memory of like singing prior to that, but this was like just the first time I'd ever like got up in front of people and sang and been like oh this is like a a wee bit of a buzz like even at four do you know what I mean which is mad to think now but like um yeah I don't know what sort of possessed me to get up and do it but it, it was so that must have been fucking I don't know like I was been like 2000 or something maybe that that happened um but yeah I still don't I still can't like put my finger on why I did it or what what the reason was for getting up on it but um you're four years old. Four years old, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, a, it was a strange one. And it was like a, like a party or something. It was like, a, like uh, you go on these fucking, it's kind of like these kind of package holidays that you go on with your mm. family. They have like kids clubs and they have like entertainment nights. So it's like everyone mm. kind of congregates in this theater kind of bit in the middle, and it's like then they have a band on, and they have like I don't know, a fucking puppet show or some shit like that. I don't know. I can't really remember. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. Been back since. I, mean, okay. I don't often They've hang not around you. them. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't put me back. But um, but yeah. So then it was like, um, yeah, it was just that. It was that was the first time we did it, and it was, yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't put my finger on why. What were you like at that age? At that sort of under ten age, in terms of confidence, and because to say, do you know, I want to go up on stage and sing mm. in a bunch, a group in front of strangers, seems yeah. like quite an, an abnormal thing for a, a child to volunteer to do. Totally. Um, I think prior to being like ten, and prior to like, I don't know, yeah, prior to going to high school or whatever, and that maybe not even like that, but like when I was younger, I was definitely quite like outgoing. I'd say like I was quite. I remember I watched um, when I was like five. I watched Austin Powers, like I was like religiously watching Austin Powers. I don't know why my parents allowed me to do that, but like I would like go to family parties and be asked to recite like I'm a fat bastard, don't you, Austin Powers, like the big fat guy that he plays. <laughs> but I'd be asked to like recite parts of his thing, and I would do it in front of everybody and all the rest of it. It was, but it was never like again. It was never singing. It was just like acting the goat and like taking the piss and yeah like I would get up and do recite all these fat bastard bits and fucking um so yeah I was definitely like more I was definitely like a an, out, an outgoing kid I think um I definitely like to be I was probably loud and I kind of like to be like I guess I but I, I kind of like people the feedback. Yeah. Yeah, I liked feedback. I liked people watching me do things. I liked seeing people enjoying something that I was doing. Do you know why? Um, I don't know. I, I, it's it's a strange one because I, I, I never, I guess I never put much thought into it when I was five or whatever, but I don't know if it's like, I don't know if maybe like making a pa- like my parents laugh or something made me feel like, oh, that's a buzz or whatever or like, I don't know, yeah. I've sat here with quite a lot of comedians, you know, mm. Jimmy Carr, mm-hmm. Russell Kane, Russell mm-hmm. Howard. And I've, and that's been one of the really fascinating things for me is like trying to find out why at a young age they got a real buzz mm-hmm. from performing and making people laugh. And then actually, mm-hmm. I think it was Jimmy Carr that said something to me. He said, instead of, you know, because there's this kind of stereotype that you do that because you're depressed mm-hmm. and you're trying to, I don't know. But Jimmy Carr said to me when... 
when you see that behavior in a comedian, don't ask them if they're depressed. Ask them which one of their parents were they trying to cheer up. All right. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. I don't know. My parents, when uh, when I was, I went to a, a therapist a couple years ago who had said my my mum's mum died when I was three of like cancer. Not like cancer. It was cancer. But um, <laughs> so she, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, and then a year after her aunt like committed suicide, um, who was, um, sorry, my mum's sister, my aunt committed suicide. So my mum lost her mum and her sister in like, the, like within a year of each other. So I don't know if maybe that's like, I'm quite like a hypochondriac and I'm, I'm kind of like, I always think I'm ill of dying. And when I was younger, my mum used to talk to me and I used to always be like, have you locked the doors? Like even when I was like four or five or whatever. And a therapist told me that, that was kind of like, that might be because of like being exposed to like the fact that people are gone. Like people disappear, people aren't. Like I was aware of what death was at a young age. So I don't know if maybe that's like having seen like that sort of, like that sort of like profound sadness in my mum when she's like lost her mum and lost her sister. I don't know if maybe that's... Was it profound sadness that you saw? Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously... I mean, I can't imagine losing my mum at this... I mean, I'm 25. My mum would have been 34 when she lost her mum. Um, so, yeah, for sure. Like, I, I still... I have, like, v- like vivid memories, like, going into my mum's room and she was crying in bed. I think this might have been when my aunt died. But her crying in bed and talking about, like... And then being, like, having to tell me, oh, like you know, had passed away or whatever. Or, like, I just didn't, I wasn't fully aware of what was going on, but I just saw her so, like, heartbroken and so, yeah, so distraught that this happened. So I don't know if maybe that's, it's an interesting thought of, like, I don't know if maybe that's fed into it and, like, me doing anything I could to, like, either cheer them up or distract them or whatever, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, it's an interesting um, train of thought. How old were you when that happened? Uh, I was three when my grand died and three and three quarters when my aunt uh, committed suicide so I was I was young for sure it's a, it's really I don't think people realize how much kids can feel the pain of their parents I mm, totally. I had a an incident with my um sister-in-law and her her and my niece mm. where my uh, probably the instance that taught me this lesson where my sister-in-law was crying um, was upset about something and I just looked down at my niece and my niece is glued up at her mm-hmm. and my niece explodes in tears as well. Yeah. That kind of relationship we have, like of intuitively knowing if our parents are feeling something. Totally. Of course. I think that, yeah, I think it is. The, uh, people, kids do. I mean, it's a thing now where people are kind of talking about more. Kids see a lot more. I actually watched that um, Joe Wicks documentary a few mm. weeks ago where he was talking about his parents' addictions and things. And he says like, yeah, kids see so much more and are aware of so much more than we actually know. I, th- I, I totally agree. Because even now, if I'm at a funeral, it could be for someone I have never met in my life, <sighs> but my mum knew them. If I turn around and my mum's crying, I'll start crying. Yeah. Like it's, 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 so it's like something that's like obviously learnt. <laughs> like it, yeah. you see your mum crying, it's, 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 it's one of the worst things you can possibly see. Your mum or your dad or any of your brothers and sisters in pain or, in, or crying or like um, really going through something. And I think... Uh, yeah, it's something that just does, even though it sticks with you. And fears. I read this study about these monkeys, these recess monkeys, and it showed that if the mother recess monkey had a phobia of spiders, uh-huh. then all of the babies would be scared whenever they saw a spider. Oh, wow. And that kind of showed you, you're talking about hypochondria there, and you're talking mm. about like um, using your parents as a steer as to what is dangerous, what is sad, yep. you know, and all those things. 
do you think that your you, you said you had like a hy- hypochondria? Is yeah, it? yeah, 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 totally. Do you think that came from your mother's caution? I think it's not necessarily my mother's caution. My mum's actually my mum's a nurse, so she's not like uh-huh. uh, she is like the least. Like if I phone her and I say, "Mum, I've got a headache. I'm dizzy. I think I've got like a tumor or something," she'll be like, "Shut the fuck up. You're fine. Like, listen, take some paracetamol. Go to sleep. You'll be grand." I'll see you later. My dad is a very, I, I, the older I get, the more I understand that my dad, I get all my anxieties and things from my dad. My dad's like a worrier for sure. And he, and he, he's a catastrophizer as well. Like his mind goes to like, Spiral. yeah. The other day he went um, to chat, he went to my brother's house, chat from the door. My brother never answered. My brother was in the shower. And uh, my dad had convinced himself there was a gas leak in the house and my brother, like an immediate jump, like no, <laughs> no, like, like stepping ladder to that. It was chat with door, no answer, chat with door again. Right, gas leak, something's wrong. Bang in the door. My brother comes out and I tell him, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is like mental. And my dad's, but that's like, I mean, it's, it comes from like an amazing place, but it's something that he just has in his mind. And I think he he's a hypochondriac as well. And he kind of, has yeah I, I think i've learned that from him in the sense that he's a, he's a he's a worrier in that sense but i do think that because i never thought about the my aunt and uh, grandmother passing away as like a a big thing in my childhood i just which is which now when i say that out loud it sounds mental because when i'm like oh it wasn't a big thing or whatever but like so i think it's probably that like that sort of like awareness of death and awareness that you're not around forever and your parents, like, because then immediately I'm like, oh, my mom's passing away. Like, my mom will probably, like, like do you know what I mean? That's immediately in your head as a, as a kid. So, um, like, I, I can't remember why I got onto asking her about, like, locking the door when I was a kid. And she was, have you locked the door? I don't, I don't understand and I still don't remember how that became a thing. But, um, but yeah, no, so I think uh, I definitely get a lot of my hypochondria and my worry and my anxiety from my father. And my my mother's quite quite calm, cool, and collected. If I'm the, the older I get, the more I'm I'm realizing that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But um, but yeah, I sat here with um a guy called Jack Jack mate. He's called, mm-hmm. and he talked about health anxiety and OCD, and mm. he really opened up about it. And I, you know, people use these terms flippantly. They yeah. say I've got OCD. Or I've got I'm um, sorry, I'm a hypochondriac, mm-hmm. and they use them so flippantly to describe yeah. like the tiniest little yeah. something's not neat. I've got OCD, or uh, yeah. you know, you you, you might find a lump and go, oh, it's, you know, jokingly say it's this. And yeah, yeah. then someone will flippantly say, oh, you're a hypochondriac. Yeah, yeah, totally. But the reality of being a hypochondriac or OCD yeah. is, as Jack taught me, is very, very different. Mm-hmm, totally, 100%. What is the reality? So I think, so that I, I've, I've got, I have really bad anxiety, like anyway, but which I never really, it never reached a tipping point until after, like, getting famous. I'd never had a panic attack until after I was famous or after I was a musician or after this was like, after it got to like a height. Mm. Um, but the hypochondria, I get. I guess like looking back now, I'm like, oh, I was like such an anxious kid. But then, because now I understand it a lot more and I've got a therapy and I speak about it with people and I'm trying to learn a bit more about it, I kind of look back at things I did um, and realise that, that, that the behaviour was, was the result of anxiety. But that hypochondria thing was probably where it all started and it was like, I would be like, I'd be walking around school like moping and fucking like 
sort of like blinkered, blinkered view on everything and I was just like, couldn't concentrate on work I was doing because I was so convinced that I was going to die and that I had this fucking horrible disease and that, um, that yeah, that, 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 that I was going, that it was going to be over and I was going to have to go to hospital. <laughs> I was going to pass out or have a seizure. I've never done, none of that has ever happened to me. I've, I've, ne I've touched wood, never been in hospital for anything serious. I've never broken a bone. I've never had any major, I've never had a surgery. I've never had any major illnesses or anything like that. Um, I've, at, at school, when I was in primary school, I never missed a day off. I never had a day off. I was always, never had, I was never ill. Um, secondary school, I was off ill once. Like, so it wasn't like, it wasn't like um, I had cause for any of this. It was just like, in my head, just thinking. And, and I think maybe that's a thing as well of like, I don't know if that maybe never actually being ill I didn't know what being really ill felt like. So my mind would co maybe maybe conjure something up in that respect. But um, but yeah, no, at the school it just became, sometimes it could become like just really like, again, at the time I didn't understand it. I, and, and the symptoms of that anxiety, like being dizzy and fucking, I used to kind of always go like, I used to take big deep breaths like that um, all the time. And, and, and I used to make this noise, which I still make when I go like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Um, and it's like I found so basically now looking back I realise that's all anxiety and I actually got diagnosed with Tourette's like two months ago or something like that really? yeah yeah which was, which was to me made when they said that I was like oh that kind of makes fucking sense because I always thought Tourette's like fucking swearing on that I never realised it could just be like ticks bodily thingies but um, so I kind of yeah as I say like looking back I now realise it was all anxiety but if I thought I had a brain tumour and I was like, um, and I was like worrying about it so much and getting anxious that I was dizzy, that would then feed back into the, oh, I've got a brain tumour because I'm dizzy all the time. Why else would I be dizzy? Do you know what I mean? I even got so bad a couple of years ago um, that I paid, I went and paid for an MRI scan, cancelled. I was meant to play Austin City Limits Festival um, in Austin and I just had to cancel the trip because my anxiety about, I think there's something serious wrong with me it got so bad that I was like, I can't get on a plane and go to Austin and be away from home. I need to go get an MRI scan or I need to fucking really see what it's talking about. So I went and got it and obviously there was nothing in my head. That was fine. And no one can talk you out of those. When you're in that moment, call your mum, you call your friends, you tell people, no one can talk you out of it. I can do it now because I've like done therapies and I've kind of been able to sort of understand my own anxiety and stuff a bit more like, that has made it easier for me to kind of talk myself out of these kind of situations, at least kind of holes that I can dig myself in my head. My mum's also very good at it. My dad's absolutely useless because <laughs> he's fucking like, he's anxious himself. Like, he's right now. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like fucking, aye, he's he's mental. But um, so my mum, yeah, she's she's really good. At, like if I'm having if I'm having a panic attack, my mum has to, like there's nobody else that can like talk me out of my mum. For sure, definitely. Like that, that, by the way, my mom has had to sleep in my bed as as recently as like a month ago because of how bad my anxiety got at one point. But I think that was that was alcohol related. I had been on a bit of a bend a couple yeah. of days before. But like, it gets to a point where I'm like, I can't. I just can't fucking. I can't envision like I can't like. I can't imagine it not being 
something like life threatening or like super serious because of how fucking like sometimes like things don't feel real. Someone will say something to me and I won't understand what they're saying. Like it's fucking, it gets like proper, proper intense. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the hypochondria as I've got older is, is lessened. It's only when I start to have a panic attack or like I start to get really anxious that I'll go, right, that's, I think so. I'm, I'm dizzy. It's probably anxiety. You're fine. And there's a voice in the back of my head that goes, but what if it isn't? What if there's something wrong with you? What if you're about to pass out? And then in some situations, I just, I get, my head tells me like, oh, you're about to have a panic attack. You're going to have, like, and that is enough. Like, that's enough hypochondria. Like, you're, it's, it's, it's mad. Um, so it is, it's still something like ongoing, like that I, that I deal with. But um, it's definitely getting better. I've, I've, I've started taking like a medication for it. I've seen a therapist more regularly. Um, again, the Tourette's thing was like a good sort of, a lot, like, and it was kind of nice to hear because I started doing this bad twitch on my shoulder. It's actually okay today, but um, that became so like bad that I was like, this has to be fucking something serious, like more neuron disease, Google and all that shit. And like, again, just the wheels starting turning and all the rest of it. So that finding out the Tourette's thing was fine, was like a nice sort of like, oh, that's okay, that's cool. Because I don't mind, like, I don't, I, I never really think that like, I have like a mental illness of any sort. I just think sometimes I get really anxious and it's fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like, it's just one of those things. But I don't see it as like this big thing. I, I'm quite like, I'll talk to anybody about it. If I'm having a panic attack in the room, I'll be like, I'm having a panic attack by the way. So just do with that information what you will. And you said that on stage before. Yeah, yeah, I've done it on stage. I had a couple of panic attacks on stage. We actually, we played... And we did an arena tour in March 2020, like right up and like just before COVID kicked off. And I don't know, it was like, obviously it was like, basically it was kind of the culmination of this album campaign that we had done for the last record and things were great. And it was like, we played Australia and done some amazing shows in Australia in January, Europe in February. And then March was coming back, like kind of nice sort of fucking victory lap look what we've done, this is great, arenas, can't believe we're doing this in the first album, amazing. It was the worst two weeks of my life. That like, was fucking shit, I hated every minute of it. Like, you, if you look at videos of me on stage, I'm doing this twitch that was so bad that it was just, like, it was, I couldn't speak between songs, I couldn't, I could. I had to stop songs and start them over again. I saw lots of tweets being like, one tweet in particular that was like, oh, Lewis is on, was fully on cocaine, like fucking, there's like twitching, fucking all this shit. And then obviously I'm like, oh no, people think I'm on cocaine, that feel, feeds into my thing, do you know what I mean? I don't, and it was fucking, it was, but it was fucking horrible. And I think I played, the first two shows were in Glasgow, they were like, the first two arena gigs were in Glasgow. And I remember walking out and hey, the, this, it was like a kind of big Coliseum thing at the Hydro in Glasgow. And it's like, I remember walking out into the middle of the, arena, empty arena with my mum, my dad, my sister and looking around at me like, oh fuck, this is like, it was just, I think things had got to a point where they were bigger than, like I was seeing how big it had gotten. Like, do you know what I mean? It was the first time I'd, because the, the, the way it worked was my songs had gotten, we were kind of always playing catch up with ourselves in terms of the size of venues we were doing. Mm. So like when we could have done 2,000 cap rooms, we were doing 1,000 cap rooms. And then 
like so on and so forth. So it became like, it was kind of nice because I was like, oh, this is great. Like songs flying, like the next song's done really well as well. Like we're playing these nice rooms, the, the crowds are mental, this is class. And I think, yeah, the the arena was like, the arena shows were like, oh, fuck, this is real. This is huge. There's a difference between 2,000, because that, that, that's another thing I've got a, a bit of an issue with, especially in the UK. It's really hard to go from 2,000 capacity rooms to 16,000 capacity rooms. It's like, there's very rarely in between. I mean, other palette, you can do like 10, you can do like five in places, but it was just like, fucking hell, this is like a big jump. And then that thing of like disappointing people really came into it and then just like, I, I, I don't mind support. I became, being a support act, I always love because if I'm shite, no one gives a fuck because it's like, who cares? Who's that? Who is this guy? Like, do you know what I mean? We did supported Sam Smith on tour and like they were really gracious and had us on. And, uh, but everyone's there to see Sam. No one's there to see mm. me. Like, do you know what I mean? So if I go out and have a shite gig, it's like, Grant, I'm fucking off. This is great. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, but when it's like people have bought a ticket to see you, it's not a festival where there's loads of other people on, they're there to see you. It just became quite, it was quite an intense. How old were you then when you did, walked out with your family into that gig and you looked up at the stadium? 23. You're 23. Yeah, 23 years old. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was intense. I, I think it's because as well, like, I just maybe, th I think in my head I was like, oh, you you can't. As I've got a bit, I've got really bad, like, and everybody I speak to who's done well at this like, imposter syndrome thing where it's like, I don't deserve to be doing this. What the fuck? Like, why am I fucking up here doing this? I feel like a fucking absolute, like, I don't know, just like a fucking, that like, I shouldn't I shouldn't be in this position. And I've always had it and it's like, we do the self-deprecating pattern like on fucking interviews and stuff, which I do love. It's like, take the piss, but like, the, the imposter syndrome stuff, I had never been more insecure and unsure of myself than after I did really well. That's so interesting. Do you know what I mean? Because I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like even now, like, go, going back to write new music after we'd done these fucking shows, it's like, I thought I was going to go in and be like, right, I've had a couple of hits. Relax, guys. Here we go. This is going to be lovely. Easy peasy. I was fucking second guessing myself all the time. I, I was like, I would start writing a song and then immediately... No, that's shit. Like, just constantly, like, self sort of like, like, just fucking just, ah, that's shit, that's shit, nah, that's shit. Like, looking at what we did before, obviously, COVID happened. You have all this time to kind of like look back on everything you did and you go, oh, for fuck's sake, that was kind of got away from us a bit there. The song, uh, one of the songs went number one in America, and I was like, there's no way I can do that again. There's, that just seems like such a, such a fucking, um, such a fucking claim and something that I'm just not capable of. I don't, it feels like someone else did it. Do you know what I mean? And now I'm like, oh, now I'm You're comparing lumped. yourself to that person. Yeah, 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 I'm like lumped. It's like we were saying before, like that thing of like, even now coming on to do like interviews and stuff, it's like, fuck, I don't know if I can do any of this shit anymore because it's been, it's been fucking ages. It's been like three years. Do you know who sat here before you was was Bear Grylls? Mm -hmm. And Bear Grylls said to me, he said, the more successful I've I've become, the lower my confidence has become. Because mm -hmm. Bear Grylls now is, he's, when you, like, if your mate eats something crazy or does something crazy, you go, who do you think you are, Bear Grylls? Mm -hmm. He's actually become synonymous with yeah. the word. Like, so his yeah. identity is this, like, extreme, yeah. you know, whatever. And he's now looking up at his own identity going, 
how the hell am I ever going to be Bear Grylls? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it was crazy to hear him say, like, his confidence is at, like, pretty much an all-time low yeah, because totally. of his success. Yeah, yeah. Because he's competing with his own accomplishments, which yeah, is totally. not an easy place to be. No, 100%. And I, and I totally agree with that. I feel like, as well, it's such a weird position to be in because you walk into a room, like, and it's people, like, this sounds wanky as fuck, but, like, I have to, I I have to assume in some regard that people around my age have at least heard about me in passing, and I always just assume when I go in a room, I just assume people in that room don't like me. Like that's just my don't that's, like you. That's my like default position of like I don't know why I don't know why it is, but I just like it's just something I always have, and I always like if I go to a pub. And like I'll walk in a pub, like I'm like, oh fuck, people probably like walking up to the bar or like if someone comes up and says hello and I'm speaking to them and I take a picture with them, I think, oh, everyone else in this pub thinks I'm a wanker. I don't know. It's like I don't know if it's like when, that, when did that start? Um, maybe like end towards the end of 2019, probably. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, like I fucking being famous is fun. It's great. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, but why do you think they're not gonna like you? Uh, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know what, I, I just assume that they've probably seen something online, like a video I've done or an interview I've done or they've heard the songs and they think, oh, his music's shit. Oh, they've seen an interview and they think, oh, I fucking hate that, can't, can't stand him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just always assume that people have got this, um, I don't know, this view of me that they maybe don't like. I don't know. I, again, I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. Why? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't hate myself. Like, I think I'm all right. Like, do you know what I mean? But I think um, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's maybe that thing of like being like in pub and the public eye, like you're so fucking exposed yeah. to like all this shit. And it's like, yeah, it's just a bit, it's a bit of a, I don't know. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you it's walk a lot, into a room it? and you feel like, Oh fuck! This is Do you like... feel like it? Because because I'm on because I've started doing Dragons Den now. So the podcast was like you know big people knew it before, but there's this whole new demographic yeah, now. Yeah. This BBC One demographic mm -hmm. where if I'm in the airport, I'm if someone just glances at me, I assume oh they're you know, going to come over and say oh, something or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of live with this constant paranoia. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. like all the time. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, if I just keep my headphones on yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't, I look at the fucking floor. Do you, do you get a hundred percent, mate? hundred percent, and it's like that, like that sort of like yeah, you feel that paranoia like is like <laughs> squeezed out. And don't get me wrong, I love when people come up yeah. and I, I love taking pictures of people and I love speaking to people and hearing people's stories about how they love the music or yeah. like even I get a lot of people who go, um, oh, I think your music's shite, but I think you're funny and all that stuff, and I'll, I'll accept that as well. That's fine, cool. Um, but is it cool? Yeah, I think it's fine. I, you can't. Uh, my music's not going to be for everybody. I'm fully aware of that. My personality is definitely not going to be for everybody. I'm fully aware of that. I think the fact that people come up, I like the fact that people feel that they can say that to me and I won't take offence. You've kind of invited that though, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Because that's how I am. Like I'm, you, you would really, really have to say something horrible about I don't know what you could say to me that I would take offence at. I'm very like, I don't know if it's my upbringing in Scotland or just being Scottish or whatever. Like, the, the, like I, I don't, take offence to things, really. Like, I've seen some fucking pretty ridiculous things written about me online and on Twitter and all the rest of it that really does not, like... You say you're very self-deprecating. Mm, yeah, of course. Why? Uh, I just think it's funny. I think, I think, but again, I think that's a very Scottish thing and that's a very, like, we kind of all... Well, when I grew up, everyone just took the piss out of each other. 
it's quite, I don't know, it's quite a bad thing, not a bad thing in Scotland. You never feel, you never want to get ideas above your station. Like, the, you never, even when I was starting out in music, I just always, I never thought we'd get to this point or that things would get to this big because I just always thought, oh, that we just, that just doesn't, thing. it's maybe a bad thing as well because it maybe stops a lot of people from going to achieve things or trying to reach for stuff. Like, I, on, I, I've said before, like, if I hadn't met my manager and my label and stuff, I would still be in pubs just playing tunes at the weekend and all the rest of it. It's not like, or I'd be playing weddings and stuff like that because I would just not assume that this was on the cards. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, I, I think as well, there's something nice in, don't get me wrong, around my friends, I'm slagging them off like nothing else and they're doing the same with me and it's like a, you kind of figure out like what your flaws are by the way your friends, the stuff your friends pick out. And I don't get me wrong, like on tour, we say some fucking horrific stuff to each other and we take the piss out of each other and it's all fine because we love each other and it's grand. But like, I think in general, if if I can, it feels better to make people laugh like at me than other people. Like I would rather make someone laugh at me than grab somebody else and take the piss out of them before. Is there, not, you, is there not a harm you. in that? In <laughs> self-deprecate? Like, because I, I've heard some of the things you said, you know, you said... I mean, I know, I know they're jokes, but you said things like people, women find me equally repulsive in Australia and whenever yeah. there's, you, you take a shot at yourself. And I, I do want it because if my, one of my good friends was always mm. self-deprecating, I would tell them to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Because I would be worried that, that those words might knock their own confidence yeah. or... That's the thing, it's like, you don't talk, like, be nice to yourself. Like, that's yeah. the thing of like, I think if uh, you're talking like, if you had like a, child would you want someone to say the things to your mm. child that you say about yourself i get that completely and i understand that but i don't like self-deprecate constantly in my private life do you know what i mean i don't like yeah um it's something that has become kind of synonymous with me doing interviews and all the rest of it and i do do it a lot in my private life but not like it's not like a constant every sentence mm. like kind of how it is on interviews and things like that do you think it's kind of self-defense in a way from it could be yeah i think as well yeah look my first album's called divinely uninspired to a hellish extent which is like kind of getting saying my album shape before a critic can say my album shape um i think it's like it's, it's nice to take the power away from people because it's like oh i fucking said it first <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's like i think it's quite a it is good it is good it takes the power away from other people i think in, in that regard so I, I do think there's probably something in that but um, the way the, the way I see it I don't really feel like it's dragging me down. like for example the stuff I say to myself in my head when I'm hungover that is like damaging stuff like that sort of thing of like when you're hungover and you're like kind of just that self-loathing and that sort of like that's the stuff that if I said to myself all the time I'd be like, whoa, you need to fucking like chill out. If yeah. it's like jovial, and it's never stuff that like I can't change. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not like things like that I'm like if I'm calling myself chubby, that's not like my I can't I can do something about that. Like, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm chew I'm like yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's something like um like that. There is an aspect as well of like you you kinda people you get to a point and doing interviews like especially radio stations that we do just say the same thing over and over again so it is it's the same in that regard of like people say it a lot like you're very self-deprecating it's like well yes but these are i'm gonna ask the same questions everywhere i go so i'm just kind of like rewarding a lot of this mm. self-deprecating pattern and the rest of it so 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think second time around it's going to be quite a, like, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. That's what I'm saying about, like, turning it on again and all the rest of it. Like, it's just, that's, it's going to be interesting to see, like, how things play out this time around because it's like, yeah, I'm not just going to come out and say the same stuff. How do you how do you feel about the second time around? Um, Give me the full range of emotions. So this is your second... Kind of, yeah, releasing new music, first time in, like, three years. First time was just a smash mega ultra hit. Yeah, some might call it that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, fucking crazy. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. So this time I'm shitting myself. But this is the problem. I think the nature of the music industry is a big problem with. I mean, it's got so much better, and I've had a lot of support from everyone around me. No one forces me to do anything. No one really. We we were able. To, this is like almost unheard of. But like we were able to go away and make new music and bring it to the label and be like, this is the new music that we're going to put out. And they said, great, thank you. We will now do our job with this. So it's like a lot of people have like, maybe an A&R who's quite, oh no, you change this, change this and that. We were given like, the first album, the second album, free reign to kind of go do what we wanted to do. People have always checked up on us. But I think in the music industry, and then, well, maybe any industry, it's like, you get a number one single and immediately it turns to Ah, oh, yeah, but can I do it again? Yeah. And then you do it again, and then it's immediately like, ah, but how's the album doing? And it's like, how are the tickets doing? There's always something else. The goalposts always fucking changing. So it's this constant sort of like state of fuck, fuck, fuck. I need to like, right. You can't, it's like that thing of like, I mean, it's so, it's spoken about to death, but like that thing of not being able to sit back and enjoy it because you're always on the move to the next thing and on the move to the next thing. And I think that's why. Uh, during lockdown, I really struggled as well because it was like, oh, the next thing, the next thing. And then it, there is no next thing now because we're all in COVID mm. and all that shit. And it's like, what do you do now? And then you just oh, have all this pent up fucking... How was that? Exactly. It was um, it was intense for sure. Because uh, do you know what? I, when we first got announced, that, well, when COVID first got announced as if it's a fucking album, but um, <laughs> <laughs> coming this summer. Um, but I think um, when COVID first got like kind of, when the lockdowns first were announced, we were all fucking... Thingy that I was a bit like I was meant to go on tour to an America to support Niall Horn, mm. but having had just had the fucking horrible experience I had over the two weeks, I was in a position where I was I don't know if I can perform live anymore without having a panic attack. It was that bad. Like every single night I had a panic attack. I was twitching. It was fucking horrible. People who I knew would be watching the gigs and they would come back after and be like, "That wasn't. We didn't enjoy watching that gig. Like that was really fucking hard for us to see you in that position." Did you ever in those moments? question what you were doing yeah for sure but I, I questioned what I was doing a lot in lockdown as well like honestly that it kind of started it's like fuck if this is making me feel this bad and that it was fucking so heartbreaking as well because sorry I keep hitting this mic but I was so heartbroken about it because playing live was the, is the, the the best bit about music like I fucking hate recording albums it's stressful it's a pain in the ass. I, promo, I kind of I get into a point when I quite like it and it's kind of like fun, but it's not like why I'll get into it. I fucking despise doing music videos. I hate doing photo shoots, hate getting my photo taken. I only do all that stuff. The only reason I started writing songs was because I thought, okay, if I, like people who I was watching, like bands like Green Day or fucking Arthur Monkeys, I was like, oh, they write their own songs. So I, if I want to play live, I have to write my own songs. Um, the, the So like the only reason I do any of this other shit or put up with any of this other shit is because the la playing live is this fucking unparalleled thing 
that's that's that you can't compare it to anything else. It takes you back to being four at that karaoke gig, right? Totally, a hundred percent, and it's that same buzz every single fucking time. Like, do you know what I mean? I mean, unless you have a fucking shitty gig, then it's terrible. But um, and then you're depressed for like three weeks. But um, yeah, that buzz is just unbelievable. So like, when when that was making me feel shy, I was a bit like, oh, well, this is fucking horrific. And it was like, I, I don't know how, if this is making me feel this bad, why continue to do it? And then at times making new music and stuff, I was like, I, when I would get really down on myself, I'd be like, fuck, is this actually worth it? The rest of it. I never actually got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm going to quit. Or like, thinking, I don't think it was ever something that was serious in my mind because I've literally never done anything else. And I would be fucking useless at anything else. I'm a lazy cunt. Like, serious. And, and I know that sounds like I'm being self-deprecating. I, I am... I am just aware of that as a, a genuine flaw that I am I'm trying to take the steps to correct. Honestly, it's so fucking I'm so bad for just like see like just sitting on TikTok and fucking scrolling through it and that. And it's and I think as well, getting to the position I got in of the first album, I was like, fuck now I can like really fucking be lazy. Like now I can turn this shit fucking right up. It was wild. So like at, at points I was just like, fuck, did I just do this and that? But I think for the most part, I was never seriously considering like stopping, like completely. But it was definitely something that, and my mom and dad had raised it, uh, raised it to me. My own family and friends is like, if this is making you feel that bad, especially when my Tourette's thing was really bad and we never knew what it was. My dad gave me a lift, a lift home from the airport one night after I'd been in London for a week, and I was twitching like fuck, to the point where he started crying in the car because he was like, "This is like again, we never knew it was Tourette's at this point." And he was like, "This is fucking like." so like my, he thought I was having like a seizure next day in the car and the rest of it it was mad so like they were obviously concerned and they're like why like just stop don't do this if it's making you feel this shit you never had any of this anxiety or anything before this all took off but then again when I went to therapy I was like oh I actually did but this kind of just t tipped it over the edge maybe where it became like panic attacks and stuff like that the live thing was really was really a big thing we went and played um, the Grand Prix in Abu Dhabi in December of last year. Um, just like I, I said, and I was really worried about that. And then we came, we went on stage and I never did, I never had any of those issues. Like I didn't twitch, I didn't have a panic attack or whatever. And I came off and I was in the toilet and I was like, I could have fucking busted into tears. So I was like, oh, thank fuck, I can actually do this still and not have, be fucking twitching and not be fucking terrified and not all this shit. Do you know what I mean? So... Um, so that was like a big a big thing but yeah over lockdown and stuff I definitely thought initially when it happened it was such a relief because I was like oh thank fuck I don't have to go away and do this tour mm. with Niall or, and then go and do festivals because it was like it kind of gives gave me a moment to kind of address it and I know now say, saying that obviously no COVID did and all the stuff that happened and people lost jobs and all the rest of it, it that feels like a, like a selfish thing to say but at the same time it's like like, I don't know how long, how much longer I could have kept up having a panic attack every single fucking night on stage and just, like... Because it was, it was, like, fucking... It was, like, uh, it was suffering, for sure. Um, and, it, yeah, it just wasn't... It wasn't fun. But, again, it was, like, I would come off stage and I'd be absolutely... And then I'd be, like, oh, I'm not having, I'm not having this panic attack. I got to a point where I was having panic attacks because I was anticipating having a panic attack. So yeah, was, man. Do you know what I mean? So when you get into that cycle, I think you're in real trouble because it's, like... If you go looking for something, you're going to fucking find it. Do you know what I mean? You talk um, about um, how 
therapy helped. That's mm. really inspiring to hear mm. because a lot of the time, honestly, when I sit here with people who are um, in that phase of their life or have been through that, mm. they didn't seek out help until much, much later in life, mm -hmm. until, yeah. you know, much, much later after their career. Yeah. Um, what value, and it's, and it's also, I have to say, it's so important and nice to hear your honesty about that because I think we all... I think therapy is something that we should probably all consider if we have the means to do it because mm -hmm. um, it's sometimes not like whack-a-mole of seeing a symptom but a preventative measure as well. 100%. You can't wait until things are at their worst to do something about it. It has to be something that you continue to fucking continue to work at. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just I think people wait until it's like fucking like the worst rock bottom. You, if you take the steps prior to rock bottom, you might not have to reach that. Do you know Amen. what I mean? Yeah. How has it helped you? And what has it taught you? Because, you know... I've had a few... So I've had a few... Um, I've, I've tried a few different therapists, and that's the thing as, as well now. It's like, you kind of go to, like, <clears throat> different people and you kind of walk out. I think a lot of people might go to a therapist and go, oh, no, that doesn't work for me. But you have to kind of mm, find the like person. Dating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. So you have to find the person who's right for you. Um, and I'm still, like... I'm still, like... I've just started with a new... Like, I'm still, like trying to find the, the right person. But, like, I think um, it's just, for me, it was all about, like, understand, like, <clears throat> the first one I did was, like, CBT. Yeah, yeah. Therapy for my anxiety. And I was, like, it was just about understanding what anxiety is and why I'm having these and <clears throat> what, like, looking out for triggers and things mm. like that. It was, it was very much about, because at the start when it's not, when you're just having panic attacks, you're like, oh, what the fuck is going on? This is mental, mm. like why am I feeling this? And then every sort of feeling you get when you have a panic attack spurs it on even more and it becomes this big fucking massive thing. And I think when I went to CBT therapy and she was like, have you felt like this? 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 And I was like, oh yeah, all that shit. And she's like, oh, that's anxiety. And then I remember I used to, the this passing out and seizure thing became a big thing as well when I was having panic attacks. And she was like, right, well, what happens if you go to, if you have a seizure? And I goes, eh, I don't know, I probably got a hospital. And she goes, all right, so you're in the hospital. What's the best place for you to be? Have you had the seasons? She was like, I was like, oh, probably a hospital. She was like, right, cool. So what happens if you pass out? I goes, oh, um, I'll probably wake up and, and, and I don't know, I'll probably got a hospital. She was like, all right, what's the best place for you to be? So it's like this like, fucking thing Simple. of just like really talking it out. And then I never knew what catastrophizing was, where it was like that sort of like snowball effect of Downward spiral yeah, yeah this yeah. thing happens then this thing happens so that was a big thing and yeah so just that and then the second therapist went it was the person who mentioned the thing about my my mum's mum and being exposed to like death that young mm. um and being around death that young and kind of just that being a thing with my hypochondria and all the rest of it and um I just think it's just it's so funny like when they make you like speak out like think like so like me saying her saying so what happens if you have a seizure and i go oh i'll go to the hospital and she goes well where would the best place be like do you know what i mean it's like so simple but it's like so simple but actually same. them making you say it you go oh it makes so much fucking sense mm -hmm. um and yeah so it's been it's been a big help for and again it's like not something that i feel like i feel again it's not something i ever saw myself doing go to therapy and all the rest of it. But it definitely fucking makes me feel great. Like afterwards, you just feel like a fucking weight's been lifted off your shoulders. And um, I definitely, I, I like you say, I would, I, if, if you have the means to do it, it's something that I would recommend massively. I think um, it, it has helped me. Like it will continue, it continues to help me. It's that thing of like, 
it's like anything. It's like you go to the gym to stay, well, I don't, but you go to the gym to stay, yeah. to stay fit. Like for me, like going to therapy is like, can I go to the gym to kind of like help my mind just fucking exactly. uh, work through things. And and having the awareness to know that you're, you are living an extraordinarily unhuman mm. life. And I say totally. unhuman because we're not meant to have feedback at that scale. Yeah. We're not to go in, meant to go into arenas. I mean, if we're <laughs> probably from our hard wire, wiring, we're probably meant to be in groups of 10. Yeah, totally. Of people we know and love, you know, small small communities, not going to arenas with tens of thousands of people. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, and I think that's the thing as well. It's like understanding that you've, this experience that you've been through is, is, is as a, not a, the word traumatic is a fucking big word, but it is. It's it a is fucking, traumatic. It's a massive yeah. switch. Like, I was yeah. fucking playing pubs at weekends to earn money and fucking, I was at college uh, doing music because, and the only reason I did it was because I was lying on my bed one day and my dad says, what are you doing after the summer? And I goes, oh, I don't know yet. I was just going to play gigs. And he was like, are you fuck? <laughs> fucking work at something. So I phoned my friend Adam and was like, what course are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this music course. Went and done that. So I was just fucking like, pottering around and then this what, shit just kicked off you know what, what I mean? was your hope for life then if you if we go back because we did skip past that mm-hmm. part what was your what was your, if i'd asked you at 16 years old what you want to be when you're older what would, would the answer have been uh, i've always just wanted to make enough money doing music so that i didn't have to get a real job but any anything like if i made like i don't know fucking 500 pound a month i would have been fucking buzzing like i would have been so happy with that my, 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 the first day i met my manager he said to me uh, what, so what What would be your fucking like ideal fucking situation and there was this artist called Lewis Watson at the time who was like playing who plays like who at the time was playing like King Tut's size venues in Glasgow so that's like 350 people and I was a huge fan of his and I was like oh what I get like Lewis Watson would be like my goal like that's like, that kind of that kind of playing King Tut's size venues up and down the UK would be my absolute goal and my manager was like I think you could be doing arenas like, this is the first day the first day I met him I think you could be doing arenas and I was like, shut the fuck up, like Tom Pish, whatever. And then fucking cut to three years later, playing arenas. It's like, it's just, it's just madness. So it's like, yeah, I just wanted to be making enough money playing music that it wasn't, that, that I didn't have to get a, for want of a better word, real job. Because this is like, and this is, this is the thing as well with this, with music as well. This is a, a fucking one of the easiest jobs in the world. This is a really easy job. The actual job part of it. That's the it's the being it's the famous side of things that's like that causes the anxiety and stuff like that. That's your jobs I fucking breathe. My one of my friends, one of my best pals is a grave digger. Like do you know what I mean? That's a fucking hard job. This is a piece of piss. Like this is great. But it's that, it's the kind of the pressure you put on yourself, the fame and stuff like that's like a and I and I fucking hate being on being like, oh fame man, it's really tough. But because again, it's fucking class and loads of respect. But um but yeah, so I think it's, it's for me, it was never, I never thought we would get to this point. Like I never, uh, even when I got signed, I didn't think it was going to last. And I've always been told like, getting signed means nothing really. Cause it, and it does kind of, I mean, it's a nice little tick, but it doesn't mean anything. More people get dropped than, than fucking do fucking become success stories. Um, so it's always been like stuff that I've, I've always just been, glass half empty and being like this probably isn't going to work out but I'm going to fucking try and really give it a go but it probably won't work out so don't get I don't like to get too fucking aspirational and I and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily 
an ambitious person. I do think there's people around me who are ambitious and who we have the same like lofty dreams and they maybe see something in me that, again, this is something that I cannot be more thankful for, for like labels and agents and PRs and my manager and my family and friends and stuff. They've obviously saw something and thought for some reason that we could get to a point. But personally, I just feel like, I, like I'm just happy to play music and pl specifically play live. So if this just can continue to that, I can do that. I kind of like big crowds now, so it'd be nice if they could stay big for at least two years or whatever. But if I can play live music, yeah, fucking, I'll show up and play someone you loved it any old shape for the next 20 years. Do you know what I mean? I don't give a fuck. I'll, I'll do that, man. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a buzz. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think I've always been that, oh, this probably won't, this is probably the end of the road here. This is probably as big as it's going to get. And it's just like when I, even when, we started doing well in terms of like selling tickets for gigs and stuff. I always saw, I never ever saw myself as someone who was going to have a top 40 single. So this is after selling out tours and I just thought, oh, we could maybe squeeze a top 10 album. That was like my big, my big thing. I was like, if we get a top 10 album, I'll be fucking happy. And then it just fucking took on a life of its own. One of the things that I was um, really inspired by and which we kind of skipped over again is this, how many years of like practice and repetition you put in mm -hmm. before you got discovered, like playing in pubs at like 11 years old and yep. sneaking in and hiding in the toilets. Yeah. How important in hindsight was that practice? Like invaluable, like it's so fucking like, like I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't been for that. But that's the thing, it's like the love of doing it. It wasn't like, it didn't feel like to me like a chore, like a fucking, and because I wasn't aiming for anything, it felt like, oh, this is the buzz. This is the, this is the goal. Like we're there, yeah. We're, we're, we've done it. Me when I got on stage when I was eleven, hiding in toilets. When I got on stage, I was like, "Fuck, I've made it. This is good." Like, do you know what I mean, the fact that I didn't kicked out the pub, again didn't get kicked out the pub that time. That was fucking grand. That was all I was after. Um, but I so I, I, to me that was that was fucking that was the goal. Just play gigs. That's class. Most of my memories are like going out and getting hammered and underage drinking, which you obviously shouldn't do, or whatever. But it's like, um, is that? are all related to me. we put gigs on and we we invited all our friends to these gigs and like we went we went and hired pubs that we knew served people who were like 16 and all that. like we did that it was just, it's so my life has been so ingrained in like doing like music but it never ever felt like I, even now it doesn't feel like i'm working hard nothing feels like i'm working hard like when I, it's getting to like the number one record at the time didn't feel like i was doing much I just feel like I was, because I fucking loved doing it. I didn't feel like I was working really, really hard. Again, I think it might be something to do with the fact that my brothers are like electricians and my dad's a fishmonger. Mom's a nurse and I know what I can see like a proper day's graft compared to fanning about all day and niddling on a guitar and all the rest of it. But like, I just never saw it as like fucking, oh, I'm really in the pits here and I'm fucking like, I just didn't feel like I was working hard. And that goes back to like, being in those pubs and being in those like shake bars when Neil I was listening to you or, or playing in a restaurant, even when I was thinking, fuck, if I was eating my dinner, I wouldn't want to hear me fucking singing. Like that shit was like, that, and I think that's a lot to do with like, the, the, you, you have to develop a thick skin playing in a pub because someone will shout your fucking shit at you nonstop. When you're 11. Oh, well, maybe not when you're 11. But when I started hitting puberty and the cute factor went away, it was like, things got dicey for a bit for sure. Things were an issue. Things were an issue. But, um, but yeah, I think 
that that and that's what I, that's what anytime I say I meet people like young guys or girls or fucking whoever that wants to be a musician and it's like what did you do or whatever it's just play gigs just immediately go out and play a gig don't focus on a lot of people are like oh I'm going to look this way and I'm going to fucking I'm going to fucking this is how we're going to perform on stage and it's just like just go do it just go play gigs don't worry about releasing you don't have to release music I never released a song I never did like an official release like like any like fucking the first song I ever released was Bruises, which was on my album. That's the first song I ever put out, like, record, went and recorded. Like, I went and recorded and did some demos before, but that was the first song I ever properly recorded. Because I'd, I'd been writing songs for fucking, at that point, I would have, I would have been 20 when that came out. So, 10 years I'd been writing songs for. I mean, 12, because I started writing songs when I was nine. So 12 years I've been writing songs for, I got to a point where I was just like, I, I, but it was never in my head about releasing music because I was like, oh, I just want to play live. Like, it was just this this thing that I just kept doing in tandem with playing live. So for me, it's just like, that's whatever I say to people, just go do it and just go fucking get the experience. I remember going to college when we were 18 and the, my, like, all these people who were really talented musicians and singers and fucking, like, they had never, but they'd never played their live gig. And I was so surprised by it because they were fucking much much more like technically gifted and all the rest of it and better singers and all that shit than me. But the the fact that we were, we had played live so much, me and my uh, friend Adam, who was a guitar player, and Paige, who was my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend to Love Island winner 2020. But um, she, <laughs> she, but she, she was the same. She'd done loads of gigs. Adam had done loads of gigs. Adam had done loads of gigs. Like we all drove to Thingy together. Um, and it was like, that sort of experience and gigging that we all had became like it was just so the, the, it was so apparent like that sort of like mm. kind of disparity and not again these people are much better musicians and like singers and everything than I was but like when you got on stage it was like there was a marked difference I think just because it was mm. like you had that comfortability of being up there and doing it and like I think my voice is I sound the way I sound because of playing in pubs like that sort of like loud fucking because I had to fucking sing above the noise of people talking pish and like drinking and all the rest of it and like I think yeah it's, it's if I hadn't done that looking back now I'm like oh that's that was the fucking that was the the, the kind of game changer like this is not an easy question for someone that's self-deprecating uh -huh. but when you look back in hindsight as you said there and you go, do you know, because we all do it. We go, well, what What was the reason why I was, because you, you've been wildly, wildly fucking successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I probably don't have the, the right words to describe the, just how big your your records got. And I'm a huge fan of yours. No, you have a music chat and I really am. I like, you know, um, in the same way, I'm a big fan of Adele. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Ed Sheeran. You yeah. are, your record, your records reach that level. Mm -hmm. Thanks. When, in hindsight, so you say, okay, doing those pub gigs mm -hmm. and the repetitions there, mm -hmm. but what else? I think um, no self-deprecation no, 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 because totally. I'm a fucking. <laughs> Although I do think that was a big thing in it, it is like a... for sure. Um, I think I I remember when I first started using like social media to do the for for music. It was the 1975 were kind of the main band, and everyone was like, "You have to be mysterious, and you have to be sort of like." And they were doing like the big gaps between the letters and all the rest of it, and it was very like black and white, really cool. I remember if you look, I mean, it's all probably archived now, but if you look way back at some of the things, I'm like trying to do that. And then after that kind of faded out, 
But that was everybody. Everybody was going into like, cool. meetings and it was like, oh, you had to be like, kind of mysterious, cool, like black and white, like da da da, whatever. And then at fucking, we then went on to just, I was just kind of using it to be like, oh, I'm doing this today. Because I had actually stopped using all social media when I was 16. I didn't have Instagram, I didn't have Facebook, I didn't have any of that shit because I was just like, I thought I was being cool and edgy by being off grid or whatever, but I was actually just a cunt. But um, then I just started using it like, oh, playing fucking dot to dot festival in Bristol today or whatever. And then it wasn't until like, I think I thought that we had reached our peak in terms of like music and all the rest of it. Like the first EP I released did really well. And then the kind of, uh, the releases in between that we did, a song called Rush, but these are songs that I still love. A song called Rush, a song called Tough. Tough, we thought was like the single. We thought this is the one that's going to fucking, if anyone was going to like blow up, that's that one. It did fuck all. Um, <laughs> it did absolutely fuck all. And I think at that point we were like, okay, this is kind of reached this peak. We haven't reached the heights of Bruises because Bruises kind of blew up online. Um, how I'm reached the right heights of Bruises and that's going to be a song and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So then I just like didn't give a fuck on Instagram and I was just like just doing stuff that I thought me like me and my pals would laugh at and fucking just talking absolute fucking shit and just genuinely like being myself on Instagram really which was taking the piss out of things and taking the piss out of being famous. I remember that the, the first one that I remember was coming back from an American tour. We had played like places and you know, like kind of nice shows in America and there was this big spread in the um and like the Sun or some other shit newspaper or whatever, I don't know, but like some other newspaper. Um, so this big spread and it said like, Lewis Capaldi, no hiding place now. And when I had been in that, and on the American tour, this girl in Philadelphia had given me these stupid fucking glasses. Like these stupid fucking daft cat eye glasses. And I had them on me and I was like, I don't know if it was jet lag or just being exhausted for thinking, but I just started filming myself and being like, yeah, I'm fucking so famous now, by the way. It's unbelievable. That's me. No hiding place now. Please fucking stop. Just talking pish. Like, absolutely <laughs> Put the glasses on. I was like, this is me now. Fucking like it or lump it. Fuck you. like, oh, that's it, right? Just, again, just inane shite. Not thinking about it. Like, taking the piss. And then people just really reacted to it. Again, it wasn't something that I was then like, and, and no one was like, oh, we have to, this is a thing now. We just kind of left it and just kept, the more and more I was just got comfortable just talking to a fucking phone and taking the piss and realising, do you know what, social media is actually a piss take. Like, just don't use it for anything serious. Just have a laugh. Um, I think that was like the, 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 the big thing on that when it was like, oh, can I found my feet and I found my voice? And I just started to take the piss out of things and, and just realising, oh, you can actually just, you can fully just put a picture of you with a towel wrapped around your head and these stupid glasses on with your top off, you can put that on a big massive poster on the tube. Scottish Beyonce. Yeah, like all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, why not do that? Like, like you don't have to look good on it or cool on it or whatever. You just do a fucking stupid thing. We did that whole Christmas thingy where it was just a close-up picture of my face last and it just says Merry Christmas from Louis Capaldi. There was no, we, didn't, we, weren't, we weren't promoting anything. And anything like that. It just That was it, it was all on the tube. No label would ever tell you that is the strategy to, to become successful. Oh. And yet, for many people, that'll actually be, well, for some people, that'll be how they discovered you. I remember mm -hmm. that video of you doing your, you found out your net worth. Oh, yeah, yeah. 200 quid. Yeah, yeah. Fuck me, man. No, they, well, 10 million it was. I was going to say, it was. That was skimp. Yeah, they yeah. They said you had 10 million and you, you're in your like, mum's bedroom yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah, I got yeah. fucking New York. Oh, man, I was skimp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was the thing. And, and like, shit like that was just like taking the piss. And it no one just... would ever tell you to do that. 
never. As a marketing strategy. But, that, but this is the thing that, that now that someone was like, we started to see other, mostly male artists doing it. And like, and like do, doing like very close things to it and not to be like, oh, you fucking called me because it's like, mm. whatever. It's people taking a piss and trying to do your thing. Try it, whatever you can. I get how hard it is. Fucking let's do it. Mm. And I remember seeing a tweet somebody saying, a few years ago, labels were telling people to be like the 1975 and now you go into meetings people are telling people to be a Lewis Capaldi. I can't remember who did it, but I, I could probably find it. Mm. But like, I remember reading that and being like, is it? Like, because obviously I'm just doing whatever. And I'm like, is that a thing? And then, even, like, I just started seeing it with more and more people. And then I was like, oh, this is fucking great. Like, cool. We're all just being ourselves. This is great. But then you see some people doing it and that's not their personality and you can kind of see it's it. It's fake. Yeah, you yeah. can't fake it either. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that's a thing. And I don't know. And now I'm not really sure what it would be. But then, like, someone like, like, that you look at it now and it's like people who are themselves. Like, Doja Cat and Lizzo are two people who just are themselves and people love them. For it, it. there's a name I'm forgetting. Um, young, uh, young blood. No, an, an, an artist in America who did that song about ro riding a, a horse. Oh, Elon Nas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ex and exactly, that's our thing. And now, obviously, he's doing so much for like LGBT yeah. plus um, representation, especially in like hip hop and all the rest of it. It's fucking, it's amazing. And I think, yeah, people who are that's the thing. Now you're seeing people who are themselves. It's less about being like a polished fucking yeah, pop star yeah, yeah. or whatever people people because i think people now see through that shit like people see like well you're way more relatable than mm. some perfect mm. totally. beautiful like some like one of, like a david beckham model with like six-pack habs who is faultless yeah and just is pr trained totally, yeah, yeah. i can't relate to that yeah of course but then the, 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 what's funny then is it becomes such a part like it becomes a point where that turns and people start going, oh, well, that's just... I remember there being a story and, like, this... I think it was one of those people's got in touch saying, oh, there's this story that um, Lewis has a comedy writer. Is that true? Or took comedy lessons and I'm like, if I took comedy lessons, I think I'd be coming up with better shit than, fuck, I'm fat and I'm, and I'm like, farting than that. Do you know what I mean? I think I'd be able to fucking... Yeah. I'd have better fucking material. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, um, Not sorry. a bad idea. Uh, like... <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah, exactly. Get me something on the phone. Get me James A. Cast on the phone or something like that. But like, um, nah, it was like, so then that becomes like that, then turns and it's like people are like, oh, he's fucking, he's trying too hard now. And you're like, I'm just doing the fucking same thing I was the last, like, do you know what I mean, for the last 10 years. But um, but I think that, that yeah, people people do, like when you, again, when you can see someone's not being themselves, like when we were doing that and there was other people doing the same shit as us, it was like, that's not, I can see that's, that's not, not you. Yeah. And that, but that was like, not them. That's probably a label that's been like, this is working like for this. that cunt. Yeah. Do this. Like, do you know mm. what I mean? There's, um, there's a juxtaposition with you though, because because of the music you make, mm -hmm. I'll be honest. So I heard your music first, mm -hmm. loved your music, all that stuff. Then I'm on Twitter one day and I see this guy talking about his net worth yeah, and yeah. sitting in his like mum's bedroom being like, where the fuck is this money? Yeah, Don't yeah, tell yeah. the tax man. Tell, yeah. And I'm thinking, that's the guy I heard? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Totally. Because this guy is a comedian mm -hmm. and he's he's not serious at all. Uh -huh. And then this guy in the music is deep, profound, and serious and emotional. Yeah, it felt like two different people. So that's actually what made for me made it even more like shocking, but cool. Mm. Yeah, totally. and surprising. One hundred percent. And I think I think a lot of people had that. I never noticed that as like a thing. Like I never, um, I never like saw that as a thing until people started pointing it out. Mm. It's like you know you're not like your songs at all. <laughs> 
because I, I never really thought about it. Do you know what I mean? I'd, like, I'd always just fucking made tunes and then was who I was. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, but it's easier to write about sad things, I guess. Like, it's hard to write about, like... Has it always been easy to write about sad things? You, I remember reading about this moment when someone turned to you and said, how's your life going when you were, like, 18, 19? And yeah, that, yeah. that changed everything for you. Yeah, so up until then, I probably... I was writing songs and I'd learned how to, like, craft a song. But I wasn't, like, writing anything with any, like fucking like meaning or like yeah like it was all kind of making up stories or whatever or just like they weren't really about anything um and then you go you come in and you go into like co-writing sessions in london i think i was i might have been 17 on my first one um and you go in and someone goes oh this is it's actually with a guy called ollie green who i still see now and then on this he's a great writer a great producer and you go like so what's going on in your life man like how you doing like what do you want to write about and i'm like what the fuck are you talking like who are you like i've just met you and you're asking me like how i'm doing and what's going on in my life like it was almost like i like aggressive the way i was saying i was like standoff i was like who the fuck are you like i just remember thinking that and then at, at, over time that becomes you realize that's like the people want that like talk about that and it's like that's what makes great songs is like if you have these um yeah if you have these real stories behind them and these real emotions behind them um, and that's not to say you can't write a great song and it's just gobbledygook. Like fucking, I remember years and years ago that, but that, um, remember that Robbie Williams song, Hey, oh, here she goes, you were a little too that Great tune, right? But I remember how many, and I you being like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just like, it's just all like cool and thing. And it's a great song. I fucking love that song. But like, it was like when it came to writing my songs, I found that that was like, oh, this is the fucking this is the thing I've kind of been missing is like, it's weird that it took writing with someone else to bring out more of myself in the tunes. Are you in touch with your emotions? I think so. I think so. Like, I, I, I think it's really important to feel how you're feeling. So meaning like, if I feel, wake up day one day and I feel sad, I think it's important, like there's a reason I'm sad and I should sit with it and feel it rather than like, Ah, put it off or like not kind of explore it. I think it is quite important to like try your best to fucking just just like not f trying to put off being fucking sad just leads to like for me a big fucking hole where you're going to like really really you're going to just go off a cliff at one point. You can't keep putting it off or like going out and boozing instead of fucking dealing with stuff or whatever. Same with being happy. If you're happy, fucking great feel it i always fucking like get like really melancholic after especially like so i just did like my first show in years with my band over the weekend there in denmark and then coming back home sunday kind of saturday afternoon sunday and i was just in my empty flat and i was like fuck i feel like i feel like shit i feel really sad now because i've just had this amazing fucking like oh like the come down high and like the come down was just like thank you but i thought it's important to like sit with that and enjoy it and kind of like not dissect it as such, but just like kind of let it sort of take you. Obviously, mm. don't let it run away with you, but just kind of like deal with it. Don't deny it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't be like, nah, I'm grand. I mean, that's like, see, now if I'm anxious, I'll feel anxious and be like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. That's fine. Mm. Wonder why I'm feeling this. Could be this, could be this, could be this. I know a lot of people who journal and write down, like, I'm feeling anxious because of this. Mm. What can I control? What can I not? All the rest of it. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I try and I try and sit with things. I do think since I've been famous, there's stuff that I'm like less um, 
maybe in touch with. Like I've been like like a relate like relationships. I feel like I've become quite a closed off person. Not in like with my parents or anything else, but like if I'm starting a new relationship or trying to start a relationship, I can be quite a romantic relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can be quite like. I don't know, shut off. Like a shield, is that? Yeah, 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 for sure. And I guess that's just a, a, a response to, you know, everything that's happened, but it's definitely like a... So do you mean like when, if you meet someone new, say it's a romantic partner or if it's new people, mm -hmm. you can kind of keep a wall up because you're... Yeah, and I feel like I can, I can like, I can be, I can have, it's kind of like I feel like I can give, it's, it's maybe more friendship, but I can give people the impression that I'm like giving them everything. But really, I know like I'm fucking defending, defending certain things. Like, um, like what? I don't know. Just like my own sort of like maybe like insecurities about things, my own worries about things. Because you think if you share that, then it's just quite a, vul a vulnerable position to be in. And then it's like you don't really know. You don't want to give that straight away. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because it might. You don't know how they'll react to it. Totally, hundred percent. And it's like you don't really want to. I don't know. You just yeah, you're kind of careful about who you share that with and who you, sp who you spend your time with in general but like it's easier sometimes to just not give that away to anybody and to give them the like the public image first yeah and then yeah maybe totally because that's the thing there's where everyone has a perception of who you are and like even if i'm on dating apps or whatever it's kind of weirdly one-sided when i'm asking them a bunch of shit because it's like they can google yeah they they know loads of things and they've either seen an interview or fucking heard on the radio or and it's like th this is one of the things i think i'm quite open and um, interviews and stuff like that. But I do think there's still a lot of things people don't know about me. Like there's certain questions I won't get asked. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. I've always wanted to ask someone this question. I'm not sure I've ever asked it, but um, it's. I sat one day with myself and I thought, what's the question, as someone that's always doing interviews, always talking, mm. what's the question someone should ask me? What's the best question they should, they should ask me? Mm. Because I'd love to ask that question to someone else one day. Mm -hmm. And the best question I could come up with mm -hmm. is, Steve, if I was asking it to myself, mm -hmm. Steve, what is the question that no one asks you that they should be asking you that would reveal the most interesting, untapped answer? Now, I'm going to ask you that question, yeah. and then I'll answer it myself as well, which I've never done before. Okay, um, fuck. I don't know. Like, what's the question that you think, John? You know, if you'd asked me that, you fucking would have found out something. That... Oh, I don't know. Um, fuck. Maybe, like, things like what makes you happy. Like, genuinely what makes you happy, because I can think about loads of things that make me sad, but I'm, I'm quite hard at, like... Music became, a, like, a hobby that became a job. Hmm. And now I, like, find in my life there's a lot of gaps in terms of, like, what I, I, I can do to, like, make myself, like, like, other than fucking, 
I'm, so I'm, I'm abstaining from alcohol at the minute. I'm not like fucking thinking, but like I've been off it for like mm. three, four weeks or whatever. Just because we're doing, we're busy doing all this shit, so I want to be thingy. And it's like, other than like, and again, this is part of where I grew up, other than like going out the weekend and getting pissed, it's like, what do you do, or like, or like playing shows, what do you do that actually makes you happy? And I think a lot, I, I kind of don't know. Do you know what I mean? Other than like my music and Liam my... Liam said that to me. Like, yeah, pardon? Liam said that. Liam yeah, Payne yeah. said that to me. Yeah, that's a very strange position to be in. And it's like, I don't know where I would start to like, to try and find something like that. Do you know what I mean? Is that in part because your success took your... Your, your hobby your passion yeah, away. yeah exactly uh, yeah exactly it takes your passion away because it kind of turns it into it's monetized and it's, yeah, yeah it's responsibility it's fucking pressure it's, it's your band and crew who have got kids and stuff like that that, that you feel kind of responsible for in a way and then it's like the pressures of fucking trying not to say the wrong thing especially in fucking these times that we're in trying not to say the wrong thing all the time and fucking um, like trying not to like you don't, you don't want to upset anybody, so try not to upset anybody. And then also the pressure of, fuck, that first album did well. What's this next album going to do? Like, this sort of un uncertainty. I think a lot of people as well think just because the first album's done well, the second album's going to do great. And it's just not, this is not the case. You're only as good as your next song, I think. I want to, one of the things that I think it's important for you to know is that mm -hmm. is not a Lewis Capaldi yeah. Thing. Mm -hmm. That is a human thing. Totally. And I remember reading one day about a study, which I actually wrote about my book, where mm -hmm. they got people to do a task, mm -hmm. right? A, a, a game that they enjoyed doing. Totally. And they measured their success performance and all those kind of things, happiness. And then they got them to do the exact same task, mm -hmm. but they paid them to do it. Right, okay. Right. And their motivation and happiness dropped. Wow. And, it's, and it's so paradoxical. You don't think, well, if you pay me to do something that I love... Yeah. My, my joy of doing it will drop. Yeah, that yeah, makes totally. absolutely no sense. But you're right. Mm. It shifts from being passion as the key incentive and motivator to money mm -hmm. or responsibility. Yeah. Um, and it's even something I think about with this podcast because I started it because I love it. Yeah. I love having these conversations and no one was fucking listening. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, knowing all of this and about how motivation money, I just want to keep fighting for the bit that I love and doing it my way and not allowing... Mm -hmm. you're good at this because I know you cancelled some shows yeah. when you just needed some time mm -hmm. it's just taking some fucking time when I need it and saying yeah. no totally and, and I think that's the thing as well it's like that we like, we're saying about stopping before mm. you are stopped you get yeah, do you know right. what I mean it's like stopping when you have the it's you who's made it rather than oh I, you physically can't do this just now because you're in such a bad way but what was uh, what was the question that you'd want to ask to learn to start oh, about fuck, I thought I got <laughs> <laughs> you remembered yeah, come on um, I don't think people ask me so it would be around how I've dealt with the shift in my life from going from being like someone that no the newspapers didn't write about to being getting emails from the big newspapers saying is this story true about your past or your life and like in those moments it's really fucked me like mm -hmm. it's like so I've had just this like now the media seem to care about my life mm -hmm. totally. and sometimes they say things which aren't true. And I had mm -hmm. thousands of employees, so they went back through all of my employees. And yeah. remember this one article where they like found like three of them, mm -hmm. which is like 0.01% of my <laughs> yeah, employees. And I'd never met these three people. And mm -hmm. they and those three people had a bad experience. They wrote a story about it. Mm -hmm. um, not a bad experience with me, but a bad experience with someone in my business. And that like crippled me for like many days. I was, mm -hmm. I couldn't think about anything else. Yeah, I totally. was in like, and that is probably my, actually probably my first experience with, something that I would call anxiety, just like feeling mm. 
like nervous for like days on end. Yeah, totally. And no it's out of your rough. control as well. So I, not, yeah. I, even even with all my experience doing this podcast and speaking to hundreds and thousands, hundreds mm-hmm. of successful people about anxiety and all those things mm-hmm. and how you deal with it, you would think I would be an expert. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no yeah. fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. And I still don't know. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how to. If I get into one of those moments, I never got into it before. Mm-hmm. It was only public attention that did it to me. Yeah, totally. I mean, business yeah. pressure never. It yeah. was public attention in like, mm-hmm. I don't want to even say I'm famous, but quote unquote, like being in the public spotlight. Totally. That made me go, this is a new feeling. Of- yeah. Because you can't, you can't control other people's perception of you. You can't control how, th- how, how you are perceived by the way the public. People will make, like, there is, I remember I did the Brit Awards to just announce an award the other week, the other, like last year or something. I wasn't there to perform it. And I, mm-hmm. I went on and I was like, oh, fucking, um, I can't remember what I said. I think I went, the crowd was like cheering all that, and I went, "Shut up, shut up, shut up!" Very like jovial. No one was offended. You go online, and there's like comments like, "He's so disrespectful," because it was NHS yeah. workers in the fucking oh, audience. Fucking hell this. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, it was like, was like yeah, howling yeah. all rest of it. Yeah. But uh, he's so un- like that's so disrespectful. Blah, blah. My mum works for the NHS, by the way. Right? I've said much more to my mum than shut up. But <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, it's that thing. It's that that I, I totally can empathize with that situation because it is just fucking like you you got into do this you got into doing this because you love doing this and then and your business because you love doing your business and this that you're not trained and no one's trained humans to aren't fucking, meant to have yeah. fucking millions of people i'm, I'm gonna come it. back to something you said earlier because mm-hmm. we glazed past that and my <clears throat> brain has just gone go back to that sure you're on you're on tinder <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're I on was, dating I, app. I've, I've just been kicked off with tinder why because i think people think i'm <laughs> They're reporting you. Fake, yeah. <laughs> so I've been kicked off at Bumble, Tinder, Hinge. And Hinge is the one I really, I, like, I, I love Tinder, right? Tinder's great. But Hinge is one I really want to get on because I feel like that's now, like, mid-20s, like, that's what people mm. are on. Um, I'm on, I'm on, uh, yeah, I'm on a bunch of them. Don't worry about that. But then, and then I go, oh, I, this, I got on this one. Someone the other day told me to go on this thing called Field. And I was like, oh, cool, like, there's another fucking dating app, whatever. And I go on it. And it's, like, so sexual. It's unbelievable. Like, it's all about, like, like kinks and fucking BDSM and I'm like this is way beyond like anything I'm like tuned in for but like yeah but kicked off Hinge, Bumble, Tinder because I'm thinking at the end of the day I'm still fucking 25 mm. but that's the thing as well I always struggle with like I don't want to like there's always like people talk about things like a power imbalance of like someone being famous or whatever and that, but I'm trying to like work that out as well that's like a new thing of like I don't want to like use my fame or I don't, I don't want that to have any influence over someone who I'm in a, I'm dating. But then at the same time, it's obviously a big it's part un- of like... And it's unavoidable. Yeah. And it's like, I can't... What am I only supposed to date people who are also famous? Like, that's a really weird thing. So it's that thing of like, yeah, it's strange. I, I admit, like, being on Tinder is a bit weird. I'm not the last girl on Tinder. She's fucking great. So this really? is brilliant. Like, do you know what I mean? This is after I've been famous. Is there a part of you that hopes they don't give a fuck about it and don't know who you are? Um, no, I... I think I'm like, because again, it's that way of like 20, any girl from like 22 to 25 is probably going to know. Again, that's like, sounds wanky, but just age range, like fucking. Nowhere to hide. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, nowhere to hide. I'm fucking famous. Um, But I think I kind of, I kind of want them to, if they know, there's nothing worse than a girl going, Oh, I didn't even like realize like like I hate that when you can like tell that someone's talking. Sometimes it's a fucking totally thing, but sometimes when 
people like just as my nut and all when people like I don't know if you've had this since like this all blown up, but like I've got a girlfriend, mate, so I don't. No, 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 totally, <laughs> yeah. but like, but like when people come up to you, anybody comes up to you, and they love to let you know that they don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> it's like the most. I don't even know who you are. I don't give a fuck who you are or whatever. Blah blah. And you're like, all right, like feelings mutual. Like what the fuck is this? Like you don't have to come up and tell me that you don't know that. It's fucking brutal. But um. So like, and sometimes that happens in dating as well, where it's like, yeah, I don't even fucking care about like who you are or whatever. And it's just like, okay, this is like, you don't have to tell me that. Like, just like, <laughs> we can just have a conversation as two human beings or whatever. But um, yeah, I think I would rather, if they did know who I was, that it was like, oh yeah, like, cool, like your music's cool or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I probably wouldn't, if someone was like, so, like if someone was at, like, for example, if I met a girl at a gig, no, yeah, I probably wouldn't. Maybe back like ages ago when I was playing smaller games, but like now it just feels a bit. That feels weird to me. Yeah, like, that's a, a, a very big um, thing. That feels like maybe taking advantage of your position. So mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Full stop. <laughs> but I think yeah, if someone was like into the music, that's great. If someone was like, oh, that's not really my thing, but cool. If someone hated it, absolutely fine as well. But um, I just think I just like people to be as upfront as possible, rather than be like. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, are you that? Oh, is that like your song? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's like... You just want people to be genuine, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly. the most important thing. Yeah, the because if they're not, then you, you, there's trust question marks, right? Yeah, you yeah. Think, of course, of course. And I think that is, that's, again, maybe a big thing of like the whole not giving too much of myself away and all the rest of it, like, and putting those walls up. How, but, how, how is dating and relationships and all that in your life now? Because uh, do, do you have... Do you have, um, do you have trust issues that people are going for you for the wrong reasons. That's the question I get asked a lot. It's like, how do you, especially being like Jack and Zen and people know you for like money. Yeah, yeah, totally. People, yeah, yeah. people think that you're going to attract a certain type of person. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, yeah, totally. But there's this um, really good bit in The Trip with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon where he goes, oh, well, she's only going out with you because you're famous. And then Steve Coogan goes, but I am famous. That's like me saying, she's only going out with you because you're good looking and young. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's that yeah, thing yeah. of like, it is such a big part right now, at least right now in my life of who I am, mm. um, that it is hard to get away from. I, I, I think it's going to, listen, more, for some crazy coincidence, more girls are interested in me now than there were a couple of years really? ago. I don't know what it is. <laughs> But it's definitely changed. They read about and, your net worth. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> but it's not to say like, and I don't. But like, it's a like again. It's that thing of like, see, people know, feel like they know you and like all the rest of it, and they've seen your personality, and uh, you maybe made them laugh or like whatever. That that can be a it's big attractive thing. Yeah, yeah. And as as well, you maybe have this air. People think you're confident because like, or at least with me, people think confident because of how I am on, like if I'm on a talk show or if I'm on. Like my Instagram, whatever people assume that I'm a lot more kind of confident. And if I've had a few beers, I'm going to be more chatty and. Are you confident? Anyway. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say so. Not really. Again, it's that thing of like, I feeling really open to like pe people. Like it's like that you kind of put on display. Like I, I feel like I, I hate. I don't know. I just don't think I'm. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not as confident as I was when I was a kid. Let's put it that way. I mean, I don't think anyone is, but like, I don't. Some days I feel really outgoing and I'm like, oh, I'm really chatty. Some days I struggle to talk to my friends. Like, see, sometimes I'll just be like, 
there'll be a bunch of us around and we'll be having a laugh and then like three of them will leave and it'll just be me and one other, one other pal and in my head I'm like fuck what do you say to your friends again like do you know what I mean it's that way where you're just in your head and you get in my head and I'm a bit like um, I can't think of anything to say do you know what I mean so sometimes that happens like there's been times where I've done interviews with people and I've been really chatty and outgoing because it's like it's a set up thing they're asking me questions I don't necessarily need to ask them anything mm. and it's quite easy to just kind of lock into that rhythm but when it's like and maybe it's maybe part of doing interviews because a lot of the the sort of interactions I have with people are very like one-sided One of yeah. ask a question I'll answer that ask a question I'll answer it whereas and now I kind of sometimes I'm a bit especially in a romantic setting I'm a bit like fuck what do I say to this <laughs> like what do I say to this person and it's something that yeah I need to get better obviously but um and plus it's an interesting thing as well because if someone knows what you do it's quite an it's like a job that yeah. They might, so they might start asking you questions. And it becomes a bit of a... problem is it can, can become a bit of a, a Q&A and that's exhausting, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, totally. You don't want to be doing that on a fucking weekend. But... Yeah, no, totally. Right, 100%. Like, people asking, like, oh, how's the gigs going or how's, like, writing new music going? And you're like... You're going to give the dead answers, which are just, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. good. Right, totally, yeah, totally. How's just, this? Yeah. Yes, good. It's like, who cares? Like, let's not talk about this. Let's and you know, like, that. they don't really care. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It's that, just isn't like, that the worst type of question? Yeah. When you know someone's asking a question and they don't really care. Yeah, of course. I absolutely despise small talk yeah totally. as you can probably tell from this podcast like. yeah, yeah totally yeah it's definitely, no talk has been small I'll tell you that. straight in like, I, yeah, fucking yeah. Hate, I find it exhausting I think yeah. I'm an introvert yeah I, I totally agree but then it's very again how often in the real world can you start a conversation with a really deep question never exactly so it's like yeah. in this situation it, yeah. yeah we got off to this yeah. fucking great start and it's like yeah like even to be fair, even before the podcast and stuff, it was like having mm. a chat that was about fucking pr proper and deep stuff. So it was like, but in, in real life, if you walk up to Sunday in Tesco's or whatever and go like, tell me about key points in your life. <laughs> it's like, then we were like, what the fuck are you talking about? You to buy some bread. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think that's, it is thingy. But, um, but yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. It's like so refreshing to have these conversations and actually speak about these things because it's like, there's just no other situation where you can actually sit down and talk to this. Unless it's like, your family or friends but even then it's like sometimes when you go to see your parents you don't want to have fucking big deep chats with you just want to like be with your parents and enjoy being with your parents and like just sit and have dinner and just enjoy be there yeah just be there rather than be like oh explain fuck. your whole life yeah totally do you know what I mean I think yeah so these these situations that are very I mean I don't often have we don't often have conversations just deep in front of cameras like that's my cameras but like I think um, yeah it's, 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 it's always refreshing when, when you think you so you got you know you now realize that there is and i hate to fucking add more pressure but you know there's a an expect there's the people are waiting now for this mm. for, for new music at some point whenever it's going to be mm. coming um how do you feel how are you feeling about that how are you feeling oh i'm te like genuinely shit myself the point's making this fucking new music where i was like i don't actually fucking care about this i'm just going for the motions and writing this writing these songs and all this to and then there would be days where I'd be like, fuck, I'm sweating on this. So now the album's done and I, every single song on it I fucking love and I think it's a better album than the first one and I really care about it and I really put a lot of... I write about a lot more stuff that I would never have spoke about in the first album, like pertaining to my own mental health and like my own sort of outlook on things regarding being famous or whatever. Um, and I think like that it was it's kind of like a nice thing to be scared because I'm like oh fuck I really really want this to go well because I really care about this album and I, I realised oh, I really care about making this music and being able to put it out and having this privileged position to be able to fucking go and do that 
but yeah, I'd be lying if I said I was anything other than absolutely fucking bricking it. It's like, it's a serious, uh, and it's like, it's that thing as well, like like I said earlier, where people are like, ah oh man, you can fucking shout, you can fart on the mic and it'll go to fucking top 10 or whatever. Just because the last album did well does not mean that at all. It's like fucking, it's nonsense. Like people want good music. If it's the music shit, that's not, it's not going to fly. Do you know what I mean? But um, you've done the bit you can control. Yes, 100%. So, but is there not now a risk of putting your emotions on the uncontrollable? Like, there's nothing now you can do. Mm-hmm. Once you've written music and you've, you've, you've done the hard bit, there's nothing more mm-hmm. that you can do to control it. Obviously, you can do promo and stuff, yeah, but that's not going to, you know, that won't... Yeah. That's not going to be the thing that... Pushes it over the edge, yeah. No, totally. And, and, and it is that. It is, like, the fucking unknown, and it is shit that I can't control, and it is up to fucking, I don't know, a fucking higher power or fate or whatever, I don't know, but, like, it's... Uh, it's still it's still quite hard to it's one of those things where no no amount of therapy I think is gonna help me not focus on that. Yeah. And it is like I, I'm I'm quite bad for like having anticipation anxiety being like because I'm ready to fucking go now. Like I'm ready to go. Like someone suggested that we push things back a bit the other day a bit more. And I was like, I cannot wait like any longer to put this music out. This is like this has to go out. And as well, if you wait too long, it's fucking the album starts to mean less to you and you kinda like you get further away from writing those songs. And what they meant to you or whatever. So um Can I ask you a question though? Yes. If it goes really well, uh-huh. so if it goes bad, I kind of can guess how you probably might feel. Yeah. But if it goes really well, how will you feel? I don't know. This is like I, I'm kind of worried that if it goes bad, I'll be relieved. Because I'll be like, oh thank fuck that all that pressure's off. Do you know what I mean? Like some part of me kind of feels like that. And then part of me feels like, oh no, if it goes well, I'll be relieved. But then sometimes I'm like, Oh, but if it goes well, I'll be like, fuck, I've got other sellers. Like, do you know what I mean? There's only like, if it goes well, sure, that just means more prying eyes and more like fame and more like thing, which again is fucking great a lot of the time, but it has its pitfalls. And it's like, will that then feed into the anxiety more? Or is this my anxiety now? I've learned to deal with it or will it get worse or will it expand or will it show itself in different ways? Or what would that? you say to a friend if, if they were going through thinking all the things you're thinking? What would you say if you were, if I was your best mate, we'd known each other since we were kids and I was mm. saying all this stuff to you, what would you say to me? I don't know. I'd say just like, remember why you got into it in the first place. Remember why I'm doing it. Don't, in, don't feel like you're working towards some end product. Feel like you're, you're in it. This is the end product. You're enjoying it. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You're here fucking be here don't fucking you're not there's no fucking it's not a destination like this is pure like on a fucking card but like there's no destination that you're trying to get to but like just fucking like this is the fun part like this is this is supposed to be fun let it be fun do you know what i mean because i think the only thing that's stopping it from being fun is fucking my mind do you know what i mean so I mean, it's easier to say that to people than to say this. Yeah, it is, you're right. But they they say, they say, I've read the quote, I've posted this a few times myself, where they say, you know, if you always go through life believing happiness is somewhere else, then it will never be where you are. Totally. And it's like deferring the happiness to a future moment. But it's like a mirage. You see it in like when people own those like movies in Mm. the desert and they see, I don't know, you're like chasing a rainbow and it just keeps moving off further into the future. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. And I think that's the, the thing as well. Having done all this mad shit and then been to like, um, the Grammys, I fucking hate the Grammys. Fucking being to a bunch of other award shows that I didn't really enjoy. The, the award show that I loved the most was the Brit Awards the night that I had won two awards. Not because I won the awards, but because it was like the first time I ever felt like, oh fuck, we're celebrating this. My mum and dad were there, mm. three of my best pals for home 
were like, well, able to come down and do it. The people who'd worked on the record were actually sitting at the table with me. We were like, like label wise and manager wise and that. But we like, that felt like an amazing moment. And then you realize it's because there was all these people there. It wasn't like because of the, yeah, I'm, I'm there and I've won something or whatever. It's because you're celebrating this with like people that you love and people that you, that, that have been through it all with you and have, yeah, I, I, my mum and dad, obviously. My mum gave birth to me, by the way. I don't know if I, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, like, my mum and dad and then my friends who I've grown up with and then these people who have put their fucking blood, sweat and tears into making the record with me and then, like, the label and stuff who have fucking worked so hard on promoting it and getting out there. And I think that's, that was what, like, what you realise is, like, I mean, again, it's, like, so fucking, like, cliche or whatever, but that is, like, you were like, fuck, this is genuinely why it's fun like because you're getting to share this moment with all these other people when it's not anything to do with like you say getting to a point like getting to the Brits and winning a Brit was very <laughs> I was having a fucking great night that night regardless do you know what I mean like there was nothing that was going to like either way yeah, yeah do you know what I mean if I'd lost I wouldn't have been like ah oh, fuck I lost night's ruined I'm going home it would have been like alright cool let's fucking kick on it just so happened that I won these two things that I had to carry about me for the rest of the night do you know what I mean if anything it was a hindrance <laughs> <laughs> No, but then like and then going to the Grammys. I remember Grammys start to finish, had a panic attack the whole time. It was fucking dreadful. Hated every moment of it. And when we didn't win, I remember feeling like, oh thank God. And like it just kind of like melted away. Because it was like, thank fuck, I don't need to go and do that shit. I don't know if it maybe was like, fuck, this is good. I don't know if maybe in my head I'm like, oh fuck, if we were to win something like that, that's like more and more eyes on you that maybe you can't handle at this moment in time. I don't know if it was like my body like telling me something, but I fucking hated the Grammys. Pish. Like all these things were like, and at that time it was just me, my manager, and like the guys who I wrote, so I mean, love with. Like I think when you can see the people, I mean, I love them to bits, but and when you can see like the people you're like, who have kind of made you who you are, as it were, enjoying the things that you're enjoying. And seeing it unfold and stuff, like that, I think that's the that's the buzz. So, how do you make sure? How do you take that with you going forward? Well, hopefully, the record does well enough next time that I can ask for more tickets to things. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's honestly like, but I think that's like, like it's just keeping those people close. And like that's that's another thing about COVID and going back to like, I lived with my parents. I like I didn't have a flat or whatever. I lived with my parents um, because I was on tour all the time. I never needed a house, so I moved out during COVID and stuff. And it's like that realizing like. Like, no matter what, what, however things go, no matter where you go, no matter what happens in your career or fucking, it's like, it's always just going to come back to that and those people and those, and like, aye, where your roots are and stuff. I don't think it's, it's, it's just, for me, that's, that's, it kind of reaffirms the importance of all that stuff, COVID, like being there and being back. And... Yeah, I think that was for me the, the that that COVID for me that was kind of what I got out of it, and I think for me it's just then taking that forward and try at any time I can share moments like that with people, even if it means that I was doing an award show in America, flying some people out and doing it, and it's like fucking, it's like not worrying about like oh fuck, it's quite expensive to fly it, fuck it, fly them out because it's like it's going to make the moment. It's going to make the moment. Yeah, it's going to make, exactly, exactly, yeah. It's going to make it fucking what it is and it's going to fucking, that's, that's so the interesting. Part. Yeah. Do you have any goals looking really into the future? Is that, do you have any of those big bucket list style goals where you go, fucking hell, that would be? I'd like to write a song for a film. Okay. That's kind of my only, 
James Bond or something like that. Maybe not. I, I don't know if, I'm, <laughs> if that, that's the, if me. Yeah. I don't know if I'm suave enough to have that sort of like thingy, but um, I don't know, man. Like anything, anything would be good. But I, like even if it's like, I don't know, some like indie film or whatever, it doesn't have to be fucking thingy. I just like, I quite like the idea of, that's like a new challenge, like writing for, I wrote for a game once. And that was quite fun. I enjoyed that. Do you reckon you could do it for a podcast? Uh, yeah, fucking sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Like, come on, battle on the boys. That's I've seen it. your net worth. I know you're not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but yeah. So that for me, that's kind of. I don't really have any like in terms of like chart positions or anything. Like that. Again, I never really had that the first time around, and I think it's only you're only going to be disappointed in situations like that. I think maybe. Yeah, I don't really know. I just kind of again, it's meant to be fun, and I think me putting goals on things. The way my mind works would, would kind of strip that of some of the fun of it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, the, the film thing would be good, and I hope the people who really, really loved the first album really, really love the second album. It doesn't have to be more like more people, but the people who like really, really carry the album with them and still are fucking like, like still fucking are connected to it and are still fucking playing it over and over again. I hope that they love the second record, and I hope that I did that. And their eyes did it justice, because it may not have. What about personal goals? So, like, when I when I look at my personal life, I go, okay, there's a certain balance and structure to my personal life that I hope to achieve someday. Mm -hmm. um, I think I still need to learn how to say no to things. I think I'm I'm getting I, I've cancelled shows before and all the rest of it, but I, I'm quite bad at like, oh fuck, if I say no to that, that's an opportunity that just won't come back or whatever. Um, I need to learn. I'd like to be able to do that. Um, just for my own sort of personal life. Um, I'd like to do some travelling that isn't relating to work at some point. I guess that's like taking time for myself out of, like, that was kind of the plan over COVID, like, well, what, what became COVID, that I was going to go away and see all these places and actually just take some time. So I'd like to do that. Kids? Relationships? I don't know. I mean, a, a relationship would obviously be nice. Not something I'm seeking at the moment. Why are you on all these apps then? Just for BDSM? Yeah, just for BDSM. <laughs> just for my kink shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for my uh, my kinks. But uh, I don't know. I think it's still nice to have, like... I like meeting new people and hanging out with new people and, um, uh, like, uh, shagging and that, I guess. But I don't... It's silly. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but I don't really have, like... If a relationship came up with the right person, fucking, if I met the right person, yeah. bang on, like, I'd be, I'd be buzzed. But, like, just, I think right now as well, it's a bit unfair for the other person if I'm fucking constantly away and all the rest of it. They have to be quite an understanding human being. Um, kids, I think that's fucking, right now it's not on my plans at all. Yeah, but you're so fucking young. Yeah, exactly. You like, know. I'm 25, so it's like, so I see my friends having, there's some of my friends, have, mm. one of my pals have got four kids, um, Matt saying he's me, and it's like, or three kids, maybe, I don't know, but I, I don't know speak to him that much anymore. He became a dad and I didn't want anything to him. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminds me of how, like, I'm getting older. But, um, but yeah, no, like, people I know getting married and having kids and that, that's just, like, not my, my bag at all. And again, I don't have anything wrong with that, people, like, doing their thing. I suspect you'll meet someone. That's what happened with me, where mm -hmm. I was very much the type of person where I was like, it's not fair on them. I'm too busy. My work comes first, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then I met someone. I've, I've seen this a lot, with, especially with some musicians that were like rock stars, like proper, mm -hmm. like, you know, yeah. rock stars, drugs, uh, drugs, drugs. Uh, uh, yeah. And then they meet someone and they just... Slip, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of things going out and doing stuff like that is boredom. 
Yeah. That yeah. is a lot. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, I love a fucking night out. Mm. A lot of times you're like, you'll be sitting about Thursday night, Wednesday, Wednesday, Tuesday fucking night or something, mm. and you've got nothing on on Wednesday and you're like, fuck, this is boring. Shall we just go get a few pints and then you end up out and you're fucking oh, unimagined. Yeah. So it's like, I, I can totally see that, like that, that switch. So, well, I it's mean, nice because you're being young. Yeah, totally. 100%. Oh and and I think that, that's a big thing as well. It's like remembering that I'm in my 20s is a big thing for me because sometimes I'm a bit like, fuck, let's just get this done and like, don't, not giving a fuck and like missing birthdays and fucking weddings and all this shit, funerals. But I, I think it's sometimes important to remember my age and like shit like that, like to actually take time for life rather than just slave, slaving away at work. We, we have a, a closing tradition on this podcast where the previous guest asks a question to the next guest. You might have seen it before. Um, the previous guest asked you a question, but I'm actually going to ask a follow-up question to this as well. Um, the question they left for you was, not knowing who they left it for, was it's kind of an interesting question that they left it for you, but would you rather win the Premier League, win an Oscar, or headline Glastonbury? I mean, I think... <laughs> that's quite, do you know what, actually? See, I do think there's something unreal about like see being that she's scoring like a great goal like a great goal she do soccer aid yeah oh fuck me i'm shy of it but, but uh, i'll do i'll be like a manager i'll stand on the sidelines like class but um like the sound of it that that i've always thought fuck that'd be the, the best feeling ever like and i'd but i'm a celtic fan so like old firm derby like scoring like a fucking the winning goal 90th minute fucking whatever like that must be unreal but obviously just because i'm a musician i mean headlining glass and maybe pretty fucking so terrible. i'm gonna so I, I kind of, that's why I knew it would be a bit, bit of an easier question for you. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a question which we mentioned earlier on, which was uh, caused a bit of a eureka moment in your life, which is, how are you doing? Um, I'm good, I think. I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, I think over the last, the last two, three weeks, I've really come back to like being myself. I think I was maybe in a bit of a, not like a rut, but like a funny patch of the few weeks prior. I think I was maybe going out a bit too much. Um, kind of feeling a bit dejected. Because cause we're just like this, as I was talking about this long run up to releasing this first single. Um, we were feeling a bit dejected about that and stuff. And just overall, just anxiety, just like really fucking getting the better of me. Um, but I think over the last like couple of weeks, I've kind of coming at the other end of it. So I feel pretty good. I feel quite optimistic, cautiously optimistic. Um, but yeah, it's still, it's still there. Anxiety's always there, but I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm happy at the minute, which is good. That's most I can ask for. Operating at 80%, it's fucking class. Right. I can see the caution in the words, which is which is, which <laughs> yeah, is telling. But do you know what? I I, I couldn't be more. Like, I don't sit here and gas people up or really mm -hmm. bullshit them because I don't really have to. You can say other things. Mm -hmm. I genuinely love your music. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, I and I really really mean that. Like mm -hmm. I genuinely sincerely mean that. I've watched your acoustic acoustic tracks on you your covers mm -hmm. on YouTube of your own songs. Yeah, totally. I've watched all of it, and I I couldn't be more excited to hear whatever you do next oh. and i'm not even even as a fan of yours i'm not even anticipating it's going to be the same as last time i'm actually just mm. so intrigued to hear an, another another lewis uh, another mm. and when i say another lewis i just mean more lewis totally, yeah. more from you because you know your album was actually quite i think because you have so many hits on hits on there mm. it can feel a little bit 
short in hindsight because yeah, yeah, totally. you've played I've played the song so many times so I'm mm. so excited for that and um I also want to thank you generally because it's so refreshing for someone to be so unbelievably open and honest with thing with some of the issues you talk about because you won't you won't know until you know after this conversation comes out mm. how many people you help by doing that oh, like when Jack came on and talked about his health anxiety Jack Jack said online he got thousands of messages a day of people thanking him because wow. there's not enough people talking about it. What's totally. the incentive to do so? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there is an incentive, but it doesn't appear to be one. It seems yeah, to be totally. a greater cost. Mm-hmm. So totally. thank you for that because we need to have more of those conversations, and totally. like, especially about therapy and being a man and mm-hmm. totally. being open about your feelings. And mm-hmm. thank you for doing this. It's a, it's a huge honour. No, mate, honestly, you thank know. you so much for having me on. It's, it's honestly so refreshing to actually have a fucking full-on conversation, in-depth conversation mm-hmm. about stuff because no one has ever asked me the questions mm. that you've asked me today. So it's good to actually mm. talk. I feel lighter. Great. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.